Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Kevin Rogers back with you here on 560 WQAM. SEC Media Days ongoing this week. All the coaches go up as they have every program, every uh, day. A couple go up there and talk to the media. And today the Florida Gators were up on the stand and their head coach Dan Mullen spoke to the media. And now he is joining us right now from SEC Media Days here on 560 WQAM. Coach Mullen, good to talk to you. How are you? Doing great, doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. A couple of things before we get to uh, the media days. You spent nine years as the head coach at Mississippi State. You turned around that Bulldog program. Before that, you were an offensive coordinator with Urban Meyer. You came back to Florida before last season. How did that process go with the Florida job opening after Jim McElwain didn't get retained, so all of a sudden now you wanted to go back to Gainesville? Uh, you know what? It, it was a, a pretty unique deal. I know I, me, uh, my wife and I loved uh, the people in, in Starkville. We had a great time there and loved all the players at Mississippi State. And uh, uh, amazing experience. And, and you know, so uh, it, it was, um, you know, it was one of those. We had a lot of different opportunities for the years. A lot of people had called to see if we would be interested in it. We really loved it there. So, uh, But when Florida called, it was just different. You know, I haven't been here before. It, uh, knowing you know what that Gator standard is, what to expect, knowing what 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 the uh, the Gator Nation's all about, and uh, you know to be able to the opportunity to be able to come back and be the head coach of the Florida Gators was just something that was special. And uh, you know what it was, you know I looked at my wife and she looked at me and said, "All these phone calls that you've gotten through the years are pretty interesting, but you know I've never seen your face look like that when we got a call." So uh, you know it was uh, it was a great experience and great opportunity, and you know I mean it's a uh, unbelievable honor to be the head coach of the Gators. And you took over a 4-7 and seven team after 2017. What were the expectations for you going into last season after the four-win team that you inherited? Well, I always have huge expectations of our team. You know, I mean, our, our goal is to build a program that's competing for and winning championships every single year. So uh, for us, uh, you know, to get there, I mean, our expectations uh, were pretty big. Now, uh, how you do that, though, is is how we look to fulfill expectations, which is are, are we are we the absolute best that we can be? Are we maximizing ourselves? Are we giving everything we have to be the best that we possibly can be? And if we do those things, we're going to be successful. And so, um, you know, to me, that was the expectations within the program is to maximize ourselves, be the best we can be every single day. And uh, for the most part, we did that. I thought we, we had a pretty successful year. Our guys really bought into what we were trying to do and what we we're trying to build and uh, you know, and, and live up to that Gator standard. And, and uh, you know, I thought it was a pretty good year for us. University of Florida head coach Dan Mullen joining us here on 560 WQAM from SEC Media Days. So you go 10-3 and last year. You win the Peach Bowl against Michigan. I know, you know, recruiting is always in the back of every coach's mind, but how big was that to finish the season in a blowout fashion against Michigan for recruiting? 
Well, I, I think it just I think it helped an, an awful lot for our guys uh, and for the players. Just the momentum moving forward of looking and saying, "Hey, uh, you know, I mean, here we are. I think we finished number six in the final coaches poll last year, and um, you know, and, and looking at what we can be and what the program's all about, and uh, if we continue to work harder, if we get better, um, you know, we're going to put ourselves in a position to commit." Uh, compete for championships. And so um, that, to me, is is where we want to be. And I think the momentum of that game really kicked us into this offseason. I think that a lot of people looked at the Gators, Dan, before you got there. They had a lot of quarterback issues, and that, and that was the problem. And you dealt with a lot of very good quarterbacks, I mean, obviously going back you know, to Tim Tebow years ago. But what changed with Felipe Franks last year? 24 touchdowns, six interceptions. What kind of got him over the hump? Well, I think one, I think he started looking at what he did well <clears throat> and using the skills that he does well. I think he started to get, especially as he went on, got more and more comfortable in the offensive system. And, you know, as young guys do, started to block out a lot of the outside noise that's out there and started worrying about what's important, you know, which is his performance as a quarterback. And when he started to do those things, um, I think, you know, I mean, he really took the next step forward and, and was able to improve. And he saw his growth and development from the beginning to the end of the season. You look at uh, how you fared on the road last year away from the Swamp, 4-0 and in true road games, uh, obviously winning the Peach Bowl against Michigan at a neutral site. But, uh, you know, this year now, uh, Coach, that you have a couple revenge games on the road, Kentucky and Missouri, games that you lost at home, also going to LSU and South Carolina. That I know, I know it's high expectations to go undefeated again on the road, but I know a couple of those games you definitely have circled away from Gainesville. Well, it is. Well, I mean, anytime. I mean, you look, the one thing they'll play in the SEC is I don't know that you can circle a game because you got to circle every single one of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the challenges of playing in this league are, are, are different than a lot of places because of the, um, you know, every single week you're playing against one of the top teams in America. And, um, you know, and that's what makes it uh, such a fun, fun place to coach, fun place to play that you're playing the best of the best every single week. And, um, you know, and so that'll be, uh, that, that'll be a great challenge for us. And, but we got to be, you know, we lost. As you said, we lost a couple of games at home last year, and we got to be better that way. You know, if you want to, you want to win a championship, you got to be able to take advantage of that that home field advantage and win at home. Gators football coach Dan Mullen joining us here on 560 WQAM from SEC Media Days. Obviously, locally here, uh, Coach, the game against Miami in Orlando on August 24th. How did you feel about the game getting moved up a week from the original starting date? I think, uh, I think it's it's. Uh, a really unique experience for us. I mean, you're, this is this is the 150th anniversary of college football, and for us, we have the opportunity to be the game that kicks that season off. Kicks the season off uh, is a special honor. Do it against Miami, which is a, an in-state rival and a, a game that I know a lot of people are excited to see. Um, you know, it, it's great for us, and uh, you know, and a great honor. Even though we we, we start a little bit earlier, uh, but that's okay. You know, the opportunity for us to to kind of go play that game and, uh, you know, and get that exposure and that attention around the country is going to be pretty cool. Your relationship with Manny Diaz, you worked with him at Mississippi State. He was the defensive coordinator and you were head coach, and now Manny, the head coach at Miami. Uh, has, has there been a conversation between the two of you uh, or it kind of business as usual? <laughs> no, yeah, I don't uh... – you know, I mean, now I, Manny, and, Manny and I are good friends. Uh, you know, I like Manny. He's, he's a great football coach. Uh, but I, I know the uh, the competitive part's going to come out, so I think we've kind of cut down on the conversations that we've had now, as we're getting ready for the game. 
Now, the final thing for you, Coach, I know that you wore the custom Air Jordans uh, today at SEC Media Day with the Gator logo. How many pairs of Air Jordans do you have? Boy, I couldn't even count all the ones that I have right there. You know, I mean, you've got to have some, some shoe swag and have some fun doing it. So I have all kinds of different ones that I, I get to wear and put on. And uh, I'm pretty fortunate that way. And, and, you know, get to have fun while we're doing it. I know uh, a lot of times we're, we're all business as coaches, but you get to have some fun too and get getting to have some shoe swag allows you to do that. Gators head coach Dan Mullen joining us here from SEC Media Days. Coach, best of luck this season. Thanks for hopping on. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, great to be with you. Have a great day. All right, you too. Thank you. Dan Mullen joining us right there, the head football coach of the Gators, as he was our surprise guest. He was our, I didn't want to say it, I didn't want to go there, and our thanks to Greg Likens, who set that up. He let me know earlier in the day that, do you want Dan Mullen? And I'm like, yeah, but I didn't want to promote him because we didn't know if he was going to come on. So for you Gator fans out there that uh, didn't expect to hear Dan Mullen, well, you got Dan Mullen. You got the head coach of the Gators. And, you know, when you look at what they did, you almost forget. I mean, Gator fans don't forget this, but last year they went into the season going 4-7 and in 17 Jim McElwain got let go, and Randy Shannon was the interim coach. And it was just a total disaster, and they just needed to hit a home run. And they did that with Dan Mullen for what he did at Mississippi State. He had Dak Prescott there. Remember, they were number one for a minute uh, a few years ago. They won the opener last year against Charleston Southern, and then they lost to Kentucky at home. They didn't play well at all. They lost by 11 points at home to Kentucky, and probably people are saying, oh, my God, Like here we go again. After that, they won five in a row. They beat LSU at home. They won at Mississippi State. They had a blowout win at Tennessee. The biggest bugaboo for them is trying to get over that hump against Georgia because for years, they owned them, and the last two, they have been blown out by the Bulldogs, and it's kind of Georgia-Florida for that SEC East championship. But, I mean, right now, when you look at top football programs in the state. I mean, it's obviously Florida than Miami. And then I don't know where Florida State ranks at this point. I mean, with the way they played last year. You know, I mean, you got to put them behind. almost feels like you got to put Florida State behind UCF. I mean, it, it sounds crazy, but you almost have to until Florida State turns it around. FAU's catching up. Yeah. And Lane Kippen's done a very good job with the Owls. I mean, look at even what Butch has done with FIU. Butch has done well. He's gone to a couple bowls. So you can't even count FIU out. So thanks to Dan Mullen for hopping on for a few minutes. I mean, he's got the uh, he's got the Jordans. They they sh- oh, I just got to say this though that I saw online that. Dan Mullen wore these custom Air Jordans to Media Day with the Gator logo on it. That's fine. But then you go online. SEC fans, it is amazing how they can just rip other programs that quickly. You don't see that in the ACC. You don't see... North Carolina fans ripping Miami fans, you know, but like 
he put the shoes that he wore on Twitter earlier. And then you see all the comments from Georgia fans and LSU fans and Tennessee fans, and they all come out of the woodwork. They're all just like, you're not going to win more than six games this year. And your shoes, and it's like, my God. It is just another level with the SEC. No other conference really compares to it because they, it, it is, it's life. Ball is life in the SEC. Other conferences, yeah, the Big Ten, it's competitive. Yeah, some of these other conferences, SEC, this is life. That's it. Anyway. All right. Coming up next, because I've talked to him, we'll have Tim Rohan on. This one, Danny Garcia is like, good. All right. He's going to join us. He is a writer for Sports Illustrated, but he wrote the oral history of blue chips. So that we are looking forward to. He will join us in a few minutes right here on 560 WQAM. Radio.com. All right, thanks to Dan Mullen for joining us before, head coach at Florida. Now, you know, it's one of these things. You get an SEC football coach on, it's exciting, but then part of me is like, I'm more excited for this guest that we're about to join us. He wrote the oral history of the movie Blue Chips with Shaquille O'Neal, with Penny Hardaway, with Nick Nolte that came out in the mid-90s, all right? His name is Tim Rohan, and he is a writer for Sports Illustrated. And it's one of these things that is a lengthy read, but it flows. So you're not just sitting there, because if you don't know what an oral history is, it's basically broken down into sections and almost interviews, like short clips from different people that are asked about it. So it's not just a long story. So you get the input of the people involved on different topics. And Tim is nice enough to join us here on 560 WQAM. Tim, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. First off, how did you come up with the idea to do this piece? Well, you know, it was part of our uh, SI's annual Where Are They Now package um, and headed by our our editor, Adam Dorson, and it was actually his idea. You know, he grew up and he was, you know, he really loved that movie. He thought it was like a time capsule of basketball in the early 90s. And, you know, we tried with our Where Are They Now issue, we try to do a, some sort of sports-themed movie uh, and get that involved. And, and it's the 25-year anniversary of Blue Chips. It came out in 94. So, uh, you know, he thought it would be a perfect time to, you know, go back and take a look. So how did you track everyone down? <laughs> I've been I've been working on this for a while. You know, the people in Hollywood aren't easy to track down. I mean, it was just you know good old fashioned uh, gumshoe reporting, and uh, I had a lot of time to work on it. You know, we were talking about this back in you know February March, so you know you just you, you piece it together over time. But uh, yeah, 
I saw, or at least to start off, I guess, to, to then transition to other things, that the character Pete Bell, the head coach of Western University, who eventually, it, it was Nick Nolte that uh, got the role. I saw some of the other names of actors that were interested in the role, Al Pacino, Andy Garcia, Kurt Russell. It just seems kind of odd if any of those guys played Pete Bell. Yeah, you know, exactly. Well, yeah, because, I mean, Nolte did such a great job, and it's such an iconic uh you know, character for people that uh, you can't imagine anyone else doing it. But then, you know, that's how Hollywood works, right? I mean, there's a, they toss around a bunch of names, and then you know, someone comes up with the right guy. And you know, in the in the story, we talk about you know uh, William Friedkin, the director, and Ron Shelton, the writer. They basically uh, brought the script over to Nolte's house, and they knew that he was the guy. He was the guy they wanted all along. And you know, they threatened to uh, sleep sleep on his front lawn until he said yes to do the movie. Um, I don't think they actually did end up sleeping over, but uh, you know, they knew that Nolte was the guy they wanted. Tim Rohan, Sports Illustrated writer, oral history of Blue Chips, joining us here on 560 WQAM. One thing that definitely stuck out in the, in this whole thing, I mean, a lot of great things, but Nick Nolte was the sexiest man alive at that time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was surprising. You know, I mean, it, it's 25 years ago, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, he was, you know, Nick Nolte's a bona fide movie star, and that's that was, you know, that's what I talked to Freakin and, and Shelton, and they both said, hey, you know, the coach is, you know, obviously Penny Shack, you know, there's a bunch of, you know, high profile basketball players in this movie, but the coach was going to be in pretty much every scene, so they needed someone with star power, and uh, you know, in the, the, uh, in the story, you, you could read, uh, you know, Nolte was a little uh, self conscious about being named the sexiest man alive, and so. He's trying to look for some more serious roles, and uh, he didn't know if Blue Chips and playing Coach Bell was going to be serious enough to help him kind of, you know, recalibrate his image. But, uh, you know, they ended up convincing him to do it. And this was, and the character was loosely based on Bob Knight? Yeah, so Bob Knight, uh, William Freakin, the director, he's old friends with Bob Cousy, uh, you know, the Celtics legend. And Bob Cousy connected him with uh, with Bob Knight, um, and they ended up spending a couple weeks. Uh, Nick Nolte, William Freakin, uh, Ron Shelton, and some others ended up spending a couple weeks in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, shadowing Bob Knight in the early '90s. You know, this, Bob Knight's at the peak of his, the height of his powers, and he, he let uh, a couple of uh, you know Hollywood types hang around his team uh, for a couple weeks, which sounds you know pretty absurd, but. I think Bob probably, Coach Knight probably, uh, you know, figured it, it could be good for recruiting, you know, um, especially he was going to be in the movie, I guess. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, uh, it, it was, yeah, according to Freakin, it was, uh, you know, the character Pete that was loosely based on Bob Knight. Now, one of the things that was obviously a key to Blue Chips was getting real basketball players to play these roles and not just having guys that have nothing to do with basketball. And you get Shaquille O'Neal, who obviously is a, you know, is a not even a budding star, but he's one of the biggest names in basketball at that point. I mean, how big was that to land Shaq for this movie? Yeah, I mean, that was big. I mean, everyone kind of told me that, you know, once they got Shaq, it was easy to get everyone else because... So it was hard to get that first guy, right? And then once Shaq and, you know, he'd just gotten to the NBA and was making, you know, waves with the Orlando Magic, and uh, he was a big name. But the interesting thing was, you know, a lot of the, the players in the movie were recent college guys like Bobby Hurley, Calvert Chaney, um, and, you know, the, the people the people putting together the casting of uh, the basketball roles, 
they kind of hit this sweet spot where, you know, they targeted guys who are going to be leaving college and entering the NBA draft where, you know, they wouldn't be messing with their eligibility, you know, casting them in a movie. Um, so they filmed, you know, some of this shortly after the NBA draft. And that's why there was a bunch of guys in, in what was that, the 93 draft um, that Penny was in. Uh, you know, you look back at the uh, the credits of the movie and, you know, a good chunk of the first round, you know, played a, had a cameo in that movie in one of the basketball scenes. Tim Rohan, writer for Sports Illustrated, the Blue Chips oral history. He's joining us here on 560 WQAM. And what I find interesting, just to go back a little bit with Ron Shelton, who wrote Bull Durham and also this movie, the tie-in with White Men Can't Jump is so interesting because one of the scenes in Blue Chips where they introduced Shaq, the original concept turned into White Man Can't Jump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, to give everyone the full uh, picture, so Ron Shelton wrote the script for Blue Chips, I mean, way back in the early 80s. Um, you know, they just this, this, you know, the idea, the, the premise of Blue Chips is, you know, this coach is, uh, he's corrupt. You know, he, he decides, he starts losing, he decides in order to start winning, he wants to start paying players. And that's been going on in college basketball for, you know, forever. And so he wrote the script in the early 80s, but no one wanted to make that movie. It, according to Ron, he felt like at that time, Hollywood just wanted, uh, you know, kind of hero sports movies. They weren't looking at, you know, the nitty gritty of, you know, paying college athletes. So the script sat around for, you know, more than a decade. And, you know, while he was sitting around, Ron Shelton got tired of waiting. And he took this scene uh, from his blue chip script. And it was a pickup basketball scene. And if you've seen the movie, you know, the first scene was, or one of the first scenes was Shaq in it. You know, uh, Nick Nolte, Coach Bell goes to watch him play. And he's playing in this um, pickup game down in the bayou, uh, bayou. And, um, you know, originally Ron Sheldon told me that, uh, you know, that scene had originally, that scene had been originally, uh, I guess, set in uh, Compton in uh, in Los Angeles, but he ended up moving it, he moved it to Louisiana. But, uh, you know, so he took that, that scene of the pickup basketball game and, uh, and, uh, and he moved it and, and he made that into White Man jump, Can't Jump, essentially. Yeah, and it worked out there. Obviously, one of the top basketball movies out there. And I want to go back to another thing that you you put in the article, and and one thing that you uh, you just said about the heroic sports movies that we want that hero at the end. That if you think about this movie, Blue Chips, they played basically two games the whole movie. They played the opening scene, that first game where they lose, and Nick Nolte goes crazy after, and then you have the next, the first game of the next season against Indiana with Bob Knight and Bobby Hurley's on Indiana. So that's this whole movie has only two games in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, think. I think Shelton's original idea was let's let's show everything. You know, I mean, they wanted when they played basketball, they wanted it to be realistic basketball, which is why they cast kind of you know Shaq Penny and all the real players. But uh, yeah, Ron Shelton's original idea was you know let's show this coach kind of going through this struggle of, you know, he, he starts the movie as this high moral guy, uh, you know, your typical, uh, you, know, uh, you know, college basketball coach, I mean, you know, I guess Bob Knight or, you know, whoever you, you, you think in your mind's eye, and then, you know, he sees that he's struggling, he's on the verge of being fired, and, and he gets corrupted. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what interested them more. Uh, but the issue with that is, you know, then you have basketball players, 
you know, who have to act for extended periods of time. Uh, and I guess that's one of the, you know, critiques of the movie is that, you know, maybe the acting, uh, especially on some of the basketball players' part, you know, left something to be desired. Well, that's always kind of the, the argument is either you want realistic basketball scenes with true basketball players or you want better acting, but you're not going to have good basketball. So it's like something's got to give there. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, it sounded, you know, from what I, you know, Freakin and Shelton wanted real basketball players. And that's why we're still talking about this movie 25 years later, right? Because, you know, young Shaquille O'Neal and young Penny Hardaway – and, you know, Bobby Hurley, Calvert Chaney, and all these other guys, you know, it's it really is like a snapshot of basketball, of the basketball world in 1994. Now, uh, another thing that you pointed out in in, in this, uh, you know, in the story, uh, what was what was the Bob Knight, Dickie V situation? Yeah, so there was, um, you know, there was a lot of tension on set. You know, William Friedkin is a very intense director. I mean, he did The Exorcist and The French Connection. And he kind of has this reputation for being just an intense guy. He, he uh, you know, I mean, he, he's constantly yelling at people. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, everything kind of, you know, boiled over. Uh, one day in the dressing room, uh, Bob Knight was, you know, was in there getting ready to do his scene. I think it was the, you know, probably the big basketball scene that was about to happen at the end of the movie. And uh, Dickie V comes in, you know, Dickie V plays himself, you know, the, he basically plays himself, the announcer who's kind of, you know, hyping up the game. And uh, this is all in the dressing room beforehand. And uh, he comes up to Bob Knight and, you know, basically claps him on the back, says, hey, Bobby, how you doing? And, you know, according to, you know, multiple people who, you know, heard about it or, you know, the guys who were involved with the movie, you know, Bob Knight turned around and, you know, either pushed him or shoved him or, punched him, you know, it, it's, uh, it's kind of ambiguous, uh, what exactly happened, but, uh, Bob Knight, it, it seems got physical with Dickie V, you know, he was just, uh, he was just a little, uh, frustrated. Someone, someone told me that he, they heard he might've had a bad day at golf that day, but, um, but then, you know, the, the kind of the upshot is that, you know, so then Bob Knight has this incident with Dick Vitale and, uh, and then all of a sudden he's not going to come out and do his scene. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's kind of flustered. And so, William Freakin, this this guy who'd been, uh, you know, kind of uh, boisterous as a director, you know, had to talk Bob Knight down off off the ledge and uh, get him to come out to do the scene. So, you know, it's just one of those. It, <laughs> it sounds like it was an interesting set to be on. Tim Rohan, SI writer, oral history of Blue Chips, joining us here on 560 WQAM. And, you know, you, you talk about Nick Nolte was a huge movie star at the time. Shaq was a huge star. But yet one of the biggest television stars that was out there was in this movie with Ed O'Neill when he was on Married with Children, and, and everyone had seen him on there. And obviously, I mean, years later, he, you know, he's done Modern Family, so he's been on two very successful TV shows. But for Ed O'Neill, like, think about that. Like, he had a bit role in this movie, and he's one of the biggest television stars at the time. Yeah, no, and Ed was, uh, uh, you know, if, if any, Ed was one of my, one of my favorite people to talk to. So if anyone, you know, if you're an Ed O'Neill fan, I think you'll like this story. Um, you know, he had he had some great moments, just you know, running, really talking to Bobby Knight at the bar. Uh, you know, he, yeah, exactly. Married with Children was at its height at that time too, and so a lot of these people were excited to meet Ed just because they were fans of that show. Um, and, and you know, I think Ed probably did the movie. You know, William Freakin was a big deal, too. There was a lot of, you know, Ron Shelton, you know, has written some of the best sports movies of all time. So, you know, this wasn't just like a, uh, you know, a dinky movie. Like, this was, a, you know, there were some heavy hitters 
you know, in the cast, and that made for some interesting moments, uh, you know, when they all got together. So why did, when it came out, why didn't it get the best reviews, but then years later it still kind of hung around as far as sports movies you remember? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not a film critic, but uh, I, you know, just uh, could guess that, you know, I think some of the criticism has been the acting is poor, or, you know, I don't know if the story you know, was disjointed perhaps. I think they, I think originally they, there was more, you know, they got, I, I think talking to Shelton and Freakin, uh, the, the original script or idea was more focused on, on uh, Nolte and the coach's journey, but, you know, because they got Shaq and Penny and, and all these great, you know, star players to be in it, they kind of had to focus more on that. And, you know, so, you know, and then they, we talked about the acting deficiencies maybe. So, you know, all that could have played a role into maybe why it wasn't, uh, you know, critically acclaimed at the time. But, uh, you know, and, and the reason we're still talking about it is because of everyone who's involved, right? You know, Shaq, Shaq went on to be Shaq, obviously. Penny, Penny and Shaq played together. Penny went on to have, you know, the career that he had. And, you know, there's just so many stars from that time. And, you know, the same reason, you know, you're excited to talk about it. You know, my editor, Adam Jerson, wanted to assign it because for – basketball fans of a certain age, you know, who grew up with that, you know, it was almost, I'm sure it had a similar, you know, they're coming out with another space jam now. Right. And for people of a certain age, you know, kids of a certain age in the nineties, space jam, it had a certain place, you know, held a certain place in their heart. I think, you know, the same could be said for basketball fans of a certain age in the nineties, you watch blue chips, you know, if you were, you know, whether or not you were a fan of, you know, Shaq, you know, he was cool. He was happy. He was the, you know, the next young thing. And you're starring in this movie, and you know there was a lot of players like that in the movie. Finally, I mean, it feels like just tying in Shaq again that that the recruiting job, in a sense, to get Penny to go to Orlando, where some of the magic brass said, "Oh, maybe that's not true," but Shaq said, "I want this guy now playing with me in Orlando." How true was that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you just kind of hit it there on the head. It's hard to it's hard to say because you know Shaq over the years has always said. That okay, so you know during the filming of Blue Chips, they would play these pickup games um, that were you know warm ups and kind of training for the movie. But also you know Shaq's a professional basketball player and he wants to you know stay in shape or whatever over the summer. So him and Penny and some of the extras or you know some of the guys are playing pickup you know before they're shooting this movie. And Shaq and Penny get to know one another, and you know Penny is purposely you know feeding Shaq the ball, and you know he wants to play with them. And so Shaq's always said historically, like, hey, I called up the Magic and said, hey, I want to play with Penny Hardaway. Um, and I talked to two Magic executives, Pat Williams and John Gabriel, and they, you know, they don't remember that. Um, and so, you know, they don't want to, you know, they, I mean, they, I guess they leave open the possibility that that did happen. But uh, in their mind, you know, there is a story that, that didn't make it in of, uh, you know, before the draft, a couple of days before the draft, the Magic worked out Penny again, uh, like, a, a, I guess, you know, re- really just before the draft. And he had this incredible workout, and, you know, they kind of had said that after that workout, they decided, okay, we're going to take him. Now, did Shaq, uh, you know, may Shaq have called the Magic or maybe uh, sent a message through his agent to the front office, like, hey, this is, this is how I feel, this is what I want us to do? Uh, it's possible. Um, but, you know, I don't know. You know, I don't know. If it's not. It's not as strong. It doesn't seem as if it's as strong as okay. You know, the, the magic. Don't remember it as okay. Shaq told us to do this, so we did it. Um, but 
you know, there's no denying that that's where they built their friendship, and you know, there's a possibility it played a role in uh, you know them ending up together, Penny and Shaq. If you want to find out more about Western Union, a blue chip's oral history, check it out. Tim Rohan, SI writer, joining us. Uh, very happy for him to come on and give us a few minutes. Tim, we appreciate the ch- uh, the time, and check him out on Twitter. You can find Tim Rohan on Twitter. And, uh, Tim, very good work. Thank you so much, and we'll catch up with you soon. Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right, you got it. So Tim Rohan joining us there. That was interesting. I like that, that uh, a lot of things that you could pull from that movie. And if you want to check out that uh, that article, you can obviously uh, Google it. But uh, go to – you can check out Tim Rohan's uh, Twitter at Tim Rohan, R-O-H-A-N, like uh, Rohan, Rohan Davy, and he has uh, clips there for, uh, or at least links, I should say, to that uh, that piece, which was very interesting if you're into stuff like that, or if you're just ready to get back into the SPO talk, then uh, that's fine too. So we take you up until 8 o'clock. Larry Bluestein is here. I think Larry Bluestein wanted to fight me in the hallway because I got Dan Mullen on and he didn't, but uh, that's okay. We're still friends, though. That's fine. I got to find out who Larry's got on tonight. Who's Larry have on tonight? Or we'll tell you after the break. Is that fair to say? Okay, we'll do that after the break. With you till 8 right here on 560 WQAM. Radio.com. You know, they're still running those James Harden, Chris Paul, State Farm commercials. So I think of this song with the the Rockets mascot, whatever his name is, Boomer, or isn't that what, like, every mascot name is? Yeah, that's not awkward at this point, these commercials. The Heat aren't going to get Chris Paul, right? Like, that's not happening. That's not going to be a thing, right? God, I hope not. We talked about Russell Westbrook last week and how he, you know, if he would come to the Heat, well, I mean, if they traded the Heat, but if the Thunder would trade him. And that didn't work out because he's in Houston now. But the possibility of the Thunder, if they trade Chris Paul, if they buy him out, depending on what they do, because Oklahoma City is obviously in tank mode. Excuse me, rebuilding mode. Why is it that you know you got to be kind with that? They're rebuilding. No, they're tanking. Billy Donovan, that's one guy that's that's talking to his agents like, hey, find the college jobs. I'm out of here. I've had enough of this. Everyone's bailed. You think he'll go back to Florida? Not Florida. No, I wouldn't get rid of Mike White. He's done a good job there, even though obviously he hasn't done as good of a job as Billy D has. But I don't know what jobs would become available. But Billy can basically wait for whatever he wants and bail whenever he wants for a college job. That there are pretty much every, you could make an argument for so many jobs. He's not getting Kentucky because Calipari is there forever. He's not going to Florida because they're not getting rid of Mike White. They're not going to do that. I don't think that'd be kind of crappy. 
Michigan would have been a good job. I would have thought he would have tried to go after the Michigan job. Well, he, well, actually, I thought Brad Stevens would go after that job, too. It's against the Big Ten, but Juwan Howard got that job. But I don't know what would be available. Like, unless Bill Self got fired at Kansas with all this stuff going on. Or Sean Miller at Arizona, but I mean... Wasn't UCLA still looking for a coach? Th- yeah, they went through like 20 guys, and then they got Mick Cronin from Cincinnati. So... They're they're a mess, UCLA. Like that's a program that used to be good, uh, like a million years ago. Great, and now that yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Won like eighty something games in a row. But yeah, if I'm him, I'm saying, hey, let's keep some tabs on, on these jobs so we can uh, head out of Oklahoma City and be done with this thing. Yeah, I'm not sure the Heat are going to get Chris Paul, but I don't. Bl- this is one where I wanted them to get Russell Westbrook. And I knew all the deficiencies, but I wanted that. I, I don't want Chris Paul. Chris Paul, I feel like, has set fire to every place he's been to. And then in the end, they're fine without him. Like, he'll burn it down, but then they're fine. Like, the Clippers... The Clippers traded Chris Paul to the Rockets. The Clippers, two year, whatever it's been, two or three years later, now Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Okay, they're fine. They're okay. I mean, you look at Chris Paul the last few years, and if I'm not mistaken, his numbers are going down, his age is coming up, and his contract is real big. Dude, he's making like $37 million a year. Chris Paul, and I used to dog him for a long time, that he didn't get to the conference finals. Like, think about that. This guy never even made the conference finals for the longest time until two years ago when the Rockets finally got there. But how about this? This is one where I'm not down with Chris Paul. Chris Paul, think about this for a second, Danny. He played in 82 games of a season once in his career. Once, and that was in 14-15 with the Clippers. I didn't realize he was with L.A. for six years. He was only in Houston for two years. Just lose track of time. Since getting the, since playing 82 games in 2015, all right, listen to the number of games he's played. 74-61, 58-58. So 58 games back-to-back years with the Rockets. So this guy is missing 24 games, 24 to 34, 24, 24 games each of the last two years. And this guy this guy is signed up for 37 mil a year. And he had a couple good games. What was it? Last, the 2018 postseason against the Jazz, he had that one crazy game. But he got hurt in that uh, Western Conference Finals against Golden State. They had the home game, Game 7. He didn't play. Actually, I don't think he played in Game 6 or Game 7. And the Rockets were up 3-2, and then they lose the Final 2, and they Golden State knocks him out. Is Chris Paul terrific? Yeah, but he's not a guy that, that you go for if you're the Heat. That's someone you just say no thanks. The only way you're really taking him is if there's a buyout and you're not spending a lot of money. But just take that contract? Hell no, don't do it. Do not do it at all. That is just not smart. And hate to say it, but he doesn't seem like a good teammate. Was Russell Westbrook a good teammate? Eh, probably not. But Chris Paul, it seems like he is notoriously not a good teammate. And for the Heat, even though they got a long way to go. They do have Jimmy Butler, so they have a little bit of star power, not a lot. It's still very, very difficult 
for this team to be in the top four of the Eastern Conference currently constructed. Not to say if they get Chris Paul. I just Russell Westbrook, you figure is going to pay or, or he's going to play 78, 80 games in a season. He's obviously not available now, but he'd play that many. Chris Paul can't play more than 60. So you're paying this guy all this money to play, what, three quarters of the season? He's going to get hurt. And I know people out there can say, well, anyone can get hurt, but he has a history of getting hurt. He has a history of groin injuries or, you know, the, these lingering injuries that just don't go away. And the good news is, is that Jimmy Butler's playing for a top 10 coach now. Can't put Brent Brown in that category from the 76ers. That, the process, the process, the process. And how's Philadelphia doing? Can't get out of the second round. You're telling me, I want to go back to this discussion for a second. All right. And I just want to make sure I have my facts straight because I just don't want to say things that aren't true. Can we go through this really quick, Danny? We have time. We have like four minutes. Shoot. Okay. I'm going to name you people. I'm going to give you names. All right. Now, if we think Spolster is not a top 10 coach, okay? You ready? I'm ready. Let's do okay. this. Lloyd Pierce. I think Spo. Do you know who Lloyd Pierce is? Yes. Exactly. Who is he? Head coach of the Hawks. All right. So Lloyd Pierce does not make top 10. Brad Stevens. Yes. Okay. Kenny Atkinson of the Nets. No. James Borrego of the Hornets. No. Jim Boylan of the Bulls. God, no. John Beeline, former Michigan coach, now the coach of the Cavs. No. No, no, because he doesn't have any. Rick Carlisle, the Mavs. Yeah, I'll take Carlisle as well. Okay, so that's two already. Mike Malone of the Nuggets. Absolutely not. Dwayne Casey of the Pistons. Not bad, but no. Steve Kerr of the Warriors. Not bad, but no. Really not putting Kerr in the top ten? I mean, he's got more championships, but like to quote to quote one of my favorite movies in regards to him and the, and the Golden State Warriors. How do you f- that up? How do you f- that up? You can't. I knew you'd find that one. All right, I'm putting him in there. So right now we have Brad Stevens because I can still put him in the top ten, even though I rip him because of the other guys. So Stevens. Carlisle and Kerr, so that's three. All right, let's keep going. Mike D'Antoni, the Rockets. Uh, he's lingering. He's maybe. He's, he's borderline. He's It's right there. Really on name value, but, you know. Nate McMillan of the Pacers. If he, if he puts up a little more on his resume, yes. Doc Rivers of the Clippers. Right there. He's in I the conversation. Put Doc in the, yeah. I'll put Doc in there, yeah. Frank Vogel of the Lakers. No. No. Ta- Although I like Frank Vogel. I think he's underrated. He did a nice job in Indiana, but he was terrible in Orlando. Definitely. Taylor Jenkins of the Grizzlies first year. We're not going to mention him. Spo, got to say, yeah. Yeah. Mike Budenholzer of the Bucks. I guess he's kind of getting up there. He did have the he's best record get, in basketball. He did have, but yeah, but like twice he's done it with the Bucks and the Hawks. But that's more Giannis. I, I would, I would say. I mean, I don't know. I just got to see him. What did he do? What did he do before Giannis? I mean, in, well, his first year. I mean, Atlanta towards the end, it kind of, it kind of went out of control. But Atlanta, they, they were all right. Ryan Saunders of the Wolves, no. Alvin Gentry, of the Pelicans. Man, he's still coaching. Still there. David Fisdale of the Knicks. I know. Billy D with the Thunder. No. Steve Clifford of the Magic. 
Absolutely. Brett, I call him Brent Brown. Brett Brown of the 76ers. You know, I don't, I'm not going to give it to him because he's had a lot of talent the last two years in the Eastern Conference, and they should have done more. And I got to be honest with you, that's on the players, and that's on him. Monty Williams of the Suns. I like him, but I don't. I wouldn't put him over Spell. No. Terry Stotts of the Blazers. No. I mean, they went to the conference finals. I mean, he could hang around. Luke Walton of the Kings. No. Pop. Yeah. Nick Nurse of the Raptors did win a title. Yeah, I like Nick Nurse. He's he's, he's an interesting coach. Quinn Snyder with the Jazz. Eh. And Scott Brooks of the Wizards. No. Okay, so our top ten, no particular order. Let's see. Who do we have in there? Stevens, Carlisle, Kerr, Doc, Spo is five. Hold on, but I'm gonna I'm gonna backtrack for a second. Five. Pop is six. Nurse, I guess, is seven. He did win a title. And then you have Quinn Snyder's done a good job with the Jazz. Stotts is nine. And then I guess ten can be Budenholzer. And then maybe Billy D's eleven. Okay, I so think Billy D eleven, yeah. That's okay, fair. and then maybe Dan Tony and Nate McMillan. So that's the top half of the league. You can't tell me suppose another guy. Docket, you can't do it. I mean, you can't do it. There are there's one coach that's coaching for the first time in his career, the guy from Memphis. Other than that, Luke Walton Vogel are new coaches with their teams this year, but they've coached previously. And everyone else has got a whole big resume. You cannot tell me at all that suppose another guy. Simple as that. We just broke it all down right there. Went through every single coach. So that way, there's the proof in the pudding. All right, we're done. Our thanks to Dan Mullen, head coach of the Gators. Tim Rohan from SI talking about blue chips. If you like it or not, too bad. Larry Bluestein's up next. He will talk more football. That is straight ahead right here on 560 WQAM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 